Hi, I'm Dr. Jamil Sayaj. And on this podcast, we're going to talk about some deep stuff. I'm here to tell you that you're amazing. And often, the only person who can't see that is you. No matter who you are, what you do, or where you're from, there's greatness in you. Let's talk about it. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Jamil Sayaj and welcome to the Transformation Starts Today podcast where I interview leaders, champions, and high performers from all walks of life as they share their story, the lessons they've learned along the way, and empowering perspectives to help you create an extraordinary life without regret starting today. Today we have with us one of my favorite mentors and one of the most powerful and effective doctor and healers I have ever met, Dr. Sarah Hazel. Dr. Sarah Hazel is, a pas- is passionate about transforming lives through empowered health and helping people find the healer within. She's a licensed naturopathic physician who has been in family practice since 1998. She has additional training in acupuncture, Chinese medicine, advanced body work, and Ayurvedic medicine. Dr. Hazel is a certified instructor of both yoga and Qigong. She has served as clinical and academic faculty at universities and multiple health institutions for most of her 25 years of clinical practice, and is now focused on transformational longevity medicine, optimization, and integrating advanced technologies and healing the mind and body with ancient traditions. She has recently joined the project Healthy Beings in Bellevue, Washington, working with cutting edge protocols to help clients transform their lives. As an educator and speaker, she inspires people to transform their lives through using the power within and the natural world. Dr. Hazel, it is such an honor to have you with us and thank you for, for being here. Welcome to the show. It's good to be here. If everyone's watching on video, this video and audio, so she's glowing and, okay. and we're happy to be here. How are you and how's your day been? Uh, my day has been excellent, actually, and uh, busy, very busy, but started my day the way I usually do with, you know, a couple of hours just to myself. I wake up at like four o'clock every morning mm-hmm. because I learned a long time ago that strangely, most people are busy doing other things or asleep between four and 6 a.m. Yeah, yeah. So four and 6 a.m. is my magic zone where I get to do all the things I want to do for myself. <laughs> right. And just create the world that I want for myself. So, yeah, this morning was a particularly good day for that. Love that. I've definitely done that in my own life. And having those. So I remember when you do that and noon rolls around, it feels like it's been so much time. <laughs> Right. And I always because I've got I've got patients and students from like all over the place and especially on the East Coast. And so often my day actually will start at 6 a.m. And they're always just like, what what how can you be taking appointments at 6 a.m.? And I'm just like, oh, that's late. Yeah. I've been up for hours. <laughs> it's lunchtime. <laughs> right. <laughs> so one thing I'd love to start us with just to give our audience some background. I remember being in my first year of medical school in Arizona. And I remember coming across you and I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't met you yet. And there was this vibe that I picked up. There was this, you oozed competence. <laughs> <laughs> and there was this, like, I want to meet this lady. And then I found out, you know, you weren't going to be teaching any of the classes the first year. And you had this elective class that, you know, I could only take at the end of my first year going into my second year. And I had been looking forward to that class the whole year. And I remember when I finally got to take it, 
it was the best class of my four years in medical school. And it was one of the few classes in my life that at the end of the class, you know, it was our last day and I was getting emotional and tears in my eyes because I didn't want it to be over. And I, first, I want to let you know, thank you for that impact that you had on me. You have immensely shifted and impacted the way I view medicine and the way I view health and what creates that. And I just remember getting to experience the way I talk about you to, over the years to so many other people, of my, uh, friends of mine, colleagues, family. And I'll say, yeah, you know, I know this lady. She's going to be on the show at some point. <laughs> and, <laughs> I don't know. And, and the way that I... I hold you in my mind, you know, one of the greatest, if not the greatest doctors I know. And so I'm so excited to share, you know, your story, your wisdom with our audience and just wanted to preface so everyone knows kind of how to listen, because I think that this is going to be a real treat for everyone. That is, uh, that's, that's moving. Thank you. I, one of the, one of the absolute biggest joys of my life is knowing that I have affected in a positive way the people that are affecting other people in positive ways, <laughs> right? I mean, it's why it's why I started teaching in in medical school and things like that. Just the opportunity to to have a positive, good, transformational moments replicate right <laughs> out in the world, <laughs> right? Because one person uh, that you can change, and this is true for all of us, right? Like we never know. Uh, what what even some simple transformative moment that we didn't even realize was a big deal, but can change the course of many lives going forward. And and that's it's just it's part of that, you know, just to speak personally, why that matters so much to me and why it hits me so deeply on a personal level. Right. Because I've been teaching and seeing patients and thousands of people for, you know, two and a half decades because I'm getting old, um, which is why I'm in longevity medicine now because <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> but um, when I was 16, uh, I went through a year that was just the toughest year of my life, you know, to date, maybe one of the toughest years of my life, you know, in throughout all my decades. And unbeknownst, I think, to my family, to my friends, I just hit a wall. I didn't know why I was on the planet, what this was all about. I'm like, wow, humans are suffering. Everybody's suffering. There's so much suffering. Look at all the, the, the challenge and the difficulty and the confusion and the ignorance and the pain. And it just, there was just this period of time when I was 16 where it just really hit me. I'm like, I want to help. I'm here to help. I, but what, but how, right? Like the problem is so big. The problem is so big. And I felt not big enough, mm. right, to to tackle the problem. And my family was having a, a big party. My mom is an epic of parties. And so the house was filled with people. And I had spent uh, hours listening and watching a lot of people uh, that that looked happy, but were, were having all these secret struggles. Right. And it just it really got to me. It just it was it really got to me. It was depressing. It was just like, oh, my gosh, there's so much pain. Um, and I remember wandering up to my room and this older man, older gentleman came up and he sat down and he said, how you doing? 
and I knew him a little bit, right? He was uh, this this uh, kind of like fabulous sort of scholarly elder gentleman, right? <laughs> right, you know, he'd been around uh, around a whole lot of blocks, right? And he just, as you were saying, he radiated kindness, hmm. right? And that was my only impression about him. It was just this this very articulate older man who just radiated kindness. And he'd wandered up and he just sat down and spent maybe two hours instead of being with this this amazing party where everybody was laughing and and having a great time. He spent two hours with me. And what I didn't and he just listened and he just talked and he talked about life and he was so present. And he and I had not felt that seen. Right. Like he just gave me his full, undivided, kind attention for two hours. And what I didn't know at the time, and I found out very soon afterwards, that while he was doing that, giving me his undivided, complete attention, so kind, he was dying of AIDS. And this was many, many years ago, right? This was before we we had good therapy for dealing with HIV or AIDS. And so this was, uh, you know, a death sentence back then. And it was maybe in just a few months that I found out that he had passed. And that one of his very last acts on the planet was to give me what he knew was just a very precious amount of his time. Wow. Right? And that that moment was so transformative. Like that time, it made me realize that no matter the pain, the suffering, the tragedy of life, right? That that simple presence of human beings and what we can do for each other, right? was just could change a life and it changed mine and i'm just like and he because he gave me hope and he gave me belief in in the simple things that human beings can do for each other and to show up for and and wasn't long after that i decided i better go figure out how to be a doctor and be a service right and really (laughs) right You, you can see how that that trajectory would start there but um but yeah, so lives are, you know, our lives, we transform, right? Because we're, we're doctors and I, because I just need to call that out. And I've done a lot of medical training of all different kinds, a lot of spiritual training, a lot of training, a lot of classes, a lot of practice, right? We, we are steeped in knowledge and there's profound amount of knowledge now on the, right, what we're doing now, it's online, it's virtual, we're sharing, we're sharing knowledge, we're sharing what we know, but I think one of the most powerful things is to share uh, experience, presence, kindness. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to start that. I love it. I love, thank you for sharing that story. And something that comes up for me, you know, you said in the beginning when you were younger and you said, you know, there's so much pain, suffering, there's so many challenges and it's almost, it's, it could, depending on the, the the perspective, it could seem overwhelming, insurmountable. But I think the antidote, the the cure is what you were just saying, show up fully with the person in front of you. How yeah. can you be so present with the person in front of you where they feel like 
I've had I've had compliments that are some of the greatest compliments I've ever received where somebody told me they felt like they were the only person in my world. And it's like they are in that moment. You're the center of my universe. And in that moment, this is everything, my undivided attention. But many people, they don't feel that in their everyday life. And when we can bring, like you said, kindness and love and compassion and presence. So many of us were just dying to be seen and heard. And when we can have that, it's the greatest gift. You know, you might say to somebody, or I might say to somebody, what is the greatest gift you can give yourself? And when you give of yourself, it's like you're giving all of it in a way that so often people don't receive. And especially, you know, as a physician, that's something even rarer with like the what, average seven minute appointments and stuff. <laughs> so, oh, is it down to seven? Oh my gosh, I thought it was, right? Like, I remember a few years ago, the average appointment was 15 minutes, you know, it had gone down to 15 minutes and then it was eight minutes. Are we down to seven? Is that where we're at now? Ten, somewhere in that range. Oh, God. Yeah. oh my so, God. Yeah, so something I'd love to, you know, bring into the conversation for my audience that doesn't know you yet, the way I view kind of each of our stories is we each have a hero story and we're the hero of our own story. And we've experienced challenges and hardships and setbacks, but we've also learned things, we've overcome things and it's brought us to where we are today. So can you share with us your hero story of what brought you to this point and why you do what you do? Oh, wow. Um, huh, that's a good question. All right, sir. Uh, we're not messing around. <laughs> Right? Well, <laughs> is it a short story or is it an epic story? Oh my gosh. Like, where it's, to start? it's an epic life force story. <laughs> right? The epic life force story. Uh, all right. Well, if I was to truly begin, um, you know, the problem with, honestly, all right. So for real, the problem with telling my story is it, it sounds, um, I don't know. I, I view my story as really just like, right? Because the hero's journey is an archetypal story. So we all go through the same phases. We all have thematic similarities, I, right? We're all the same fundamentally. We are, we are one being, right? Um, however, to tell my story <laughs> sounds a little uh, perhaps a bit unusual. Uh, I remember very vividly uh i must have been i don't know i was in diapers i was able to walk uh i was very very young um my first conscious memory was and again these these are paraphrased right because i was thinking thoughts that were super clear to me but i don't think i had these words because i'm not sure i could talk yet yeah but my first conscious memory was the equivalent of, oh my God, here I go again. I got to grow up. I got to go through this whole process. <laughs> Why did I think this was a good idea? What was I thinking? And um, from that moment on, I've never, I've never lost sight that I, I was in a body on the planet to figure out how to be of service and i remember right and we could debate about like what part of my brain was doing this at that time since i i was essentially in theta state right because, right because you're not really functioning with all of your cerebral cortex yet but 
I, I deeply remember having a plan. I remember having advisors. I remember crafting um, an ambitious plan because I remember that because I remember advisors um, cautioning me that my plan was very ambitious. And my plan was I was going to bring together in a synergistic way at this time on this planet, the best resources I could find for helping people remember that they are powerful and they can transform themselves, each other, their lives, that they could look within and without, uh, in nature, in, in consciousness, and that they are so much greater and capable of so much more than they seem to be using. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I was going to bring together all these transformational technologies and ancient lineage techniques. Uh, and I remember the, the elder advisor, or again, this is like my little barely theta consciousness brain, um, kind of overriding all the other folk going, you know what? Let's let let's let, let's let her give it a shot. <laughs> I'm not sure they had a strong vote of confidence, but they're just like, let's let her try. Um, I remember when I was seven and a half making an oath to myself that I was going to do everything in my power to help the world. Mm. Um, and at seven and a half, I realized first step, if I'm going to help everybody and everything. I had to figure people out because I got to tell you at seven, I found people a bit confusing. <laughs> so you see what the theme here? I'm just like, oh, people, you're suffering over your suffering more than is making any sense to me. Why? Why is everyone so stuck? Uh, why? Why? Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? Um, how do I make it less hard? And so that, that really, I mean, do you see what I'm like? It's just, I never really had the, the fundamental epiphany. Like I wanted to figure out what are the ways to make this easier, clearer, how to empower people, how to make this real and right. Uh, you know, how do I understand? How do I help? And um, I spent a lot of time in nature. Like if I wasn't trying to figure out human beings and re or reading a book, I was either in nature right? Talking to the plants and the animals and things, um, or I was reading a book, or I was studying people. <laughs> like, I don't get, I need to get you. And um, so that that's kind of how where it started. I, um, I went into the sciences, biological sciences, right? It seemed obvious. Go into biological science. If you want to figure out how to help human beings, you know, figure out what human beings are. Mm-hmm. So I went into the sciences and then I was traipsing after my professors in Central America in uh, the jungles of Belize. And in the jungles of Belize, uh, I discovered a naturopathic physician who was studying with a Mayan shaman at the same time that she was working with a number of universities back in the States, correct, collecting plants for medicinal purposes and sending samples back to, right? And back then that was a lot about cancer research and um, HIV AIDS research, right? These were the plants she was collecting. And so she was, she had these like computerized things set up in this hut, like literally a thatched hut with computers. 
and she was also studying with a local Mayan shaman and helping to treat right his tribe uh, and learn all these things. And I just I thought that that was fascinating. And so I said, how did you become you? How did you get to do this? And she told me about naturopathic medicine. And so I went back to the States and I segued from biology to naturopathic medicine and to acupuncture because uh, I had masters in martial arts uh, that uh, were shooting at the same time these forces that they were able to control. So I was at the same time learning about the power of chi and um, I met uh, masters who could not just use chi in battle, but use chi to heal, right? The fundamental life force. And um, also began to study Ayurveda and yoga and learn from masters and gurus who also could do things with the power of their vital force and their consciousness. And so somehow some combination of martial arts training, Qigong, acupuncture, natural medicine, plus science, because I never stopped loving science. And that that really became my work. That's that's a beautiful journey. And and a quote that comes to mind, you know, I thought about this years ago. I don't know if I made it up, but I thought about this years ago, and it was that magic is science not yet understood. Oh, I so believe that. You are speaking my language. Like I am 100% convinced because I've, I've been doing this now long enough, right? You got to remember, like I started on this journey and was like reading scientific literature about psychoneuroimmunology when the first journals like were just being published and things like that. Like I've been... I have been around long enough that I have seen things that were considered pure quackery, absolutely, completely magical thinking, right? Not real at all. And it has moved from quackery to frontline the new horizon of advancing science and medicine right so like i have i've been alive long enough to see that transition and i i'm so grateful for my biology professors who because i had some like literally brilliant genius minds uh myself malek uh um and my ecology professors and they taught at harvard right like i mean i was gifted very early on in my early 20s in my science training uh with just brilliant science minds and what they taught me and therefore I got to use was what the scientific method really was. And they taught me that so much of science is corrupted by our assumptions and our prejudices and, and funding and agendas and right. And, and even when it's not like, you know, intentionally corrupted by funding, right. That are skewing things and got to get that grant money and all that kind of thing. Um, we, it, it's rare to have a purely open mind mm-hmm. that is really willing to look at the evidence, look at the evidence, look at the data and not find what we expect to see. Yeah. And um, so, yes, I'm a big believer that I, that's why I find it exciting now. So that's why I find, I'm so glad that I'm alive. Maybe I plan this all, I have no idea, but I, maybe it's just completely the luck of fate but I am so happy to be alive right now where for me, these ancient concepts of natural medicine, of healing, of uh, shamanistic, of meditation, of the yoga, of the Qigong, like these ancient 
thousands of year old traditions and lineages of human evolution, human optimization, human transformation. Like now, now we have, we're beginning to have the science that is actually proving for the, the Western mind, for the scientific mind, proving how all of this is real, all of it works, right? There's yeah. actually like, you know, quantifiable data that we could write. I mean, quantum mechanics, right? When quantum mechanics came along, and again, we have to avoid pseudoscience, but it's just like, it's blown reality out of the water. You know, uh, I can't remember which uh, quantum physicist say, said this, but essentially he said this about quantum mechanics and quantum mechanical theory. He's like, if quantum physics isn't blowing your mind, yeah. then you're not paying attention. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think it's an exciting time where Absolutely. science and wisdom traditions are really, I think that that's where we're going to find the transformation of our society, of our culture, of our medicine, is that these two things are going to come together. Yeah. Are coming, as you speak. Yeah, absolutely. I know in my own life over the last three to five years, there's so many new things I've been exposed to that I grew up in a very conventional family as it relates to thoughts around medicine, religion, things like that. And as I got exposed to things like you know, energy healing and Hawaiian shamanism and all these things that I do now, that it's created amazing results for people that doctors are like, that's not possible. And then boom, it's, it's gone. It's healed. And it's like, if it works, it's real. We just might not know how it works or we have a theory and theory might be wrong, but it's working. And so but like, it's working it all the way. <laughs> oh my God. Like, I mean, okay. There's so many things that we could talk about, but what, and I feel that this is changing, but what blew me away one time as I'm in the Mayo Hospital uh, clinic and the floor, and uh, this was with somebody who was, you know, possibly dying, right? Things were things were going very, very wrong uh, for this particular person uh, and what was happening for them. And the, the his Mayo doctors came in and turned to me. They knew I was an acupuncturist, I was a naturopath, and, and they had seen me and worked with me in a number of ways, you know, over the years. And they turned to me and they said, um, what do you have? And I said, excuse me. They're like, yeah, we're, we're at a dead end. And, uh, the, the patient's life was at risk. And they said, do you got anything? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes. And they and I said, do you want to know what I got? And they said, no, how long do you need? And I said, 45 minutes. And they said, great, we'll be back in 45 minutes and we'll reel them in for another CT and see if it's working. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't just one. I had like three of them come in at separate times and check in with me. They're like, they're like, is 45 minutes enough? I'm like 45. I mean, we didn't have a lot of choice. We needed to get it done in 45 minutes, right? Yeah. Uh, and I won't go into it, but, but it essentially involved meridians, chi, and castor oil, <laughs> right? <laughs> of course, uh, for me. But uh, but sure enough, and and so for the next six like, six hours or so, uh, I would work on what I was working on uh, in order to. Uh, just, it was a com com somebody was bleeding out. It was compartment and syndrome. Uh, the vital organs were starting to shut down. Things like that were happening, and so. 
What was interesting to me is that I made the mistake of assuming that every time I asked, like, do you want to know what I'm doing? And they all said no, every single one of them, even though they were checking my progress with imaging, right? We're all working together and and this sort of thing. I made the assumption that they didn't want to know because I'd had so many experiences with other, you know, conventional medical model practitioners that even though you give them miraculous results, they don't want to know what the patient has done to create and achieve those results. And in with these Mayo doctors and practitioners and nurse practitioners, um, that wasn't the case. What they told me was when we talked about it, you know, much later, they didn't want to know because if they knew they would have had to chart it. And if they charted it, they would have had to explain to the hospital administration. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but what I've discovered more and more, uh, especially recently, that more and more doctors, nurses, like more and more people in all walks of medicine are really aware that transformational possibilities are possible and that that our medicine as a whole needs to embrace a change of consciousness. And they might be being super quiet about it because the, the structure of our medicine is really resistant to it, right? The, the great, right? The greater architecture of how our current medical model is designed. Um, and this, you know, and what's, you know, what's driving physicians to have only seven minutes. I've talked to a million cardiologists and family practice docs of all kinds, MDs, DOs, all kinds, that they don't want to be giving seven minutes to their patients, right? They know that their uh, ability to impact and transform the case in seven minutes is not high. You know, it's not the individual docs very often or nurses or practitioners that are, um, they, they want change, I really think. And that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that it's not just the patients that want change or the doctors that want change. Uh, it is all of us. It is human beings right now. I think as a collective, more and more of us are wanting change. And I'm hoping that we, right now, this conversation is going to be part of the wave of demanding change, of creating change of realizing that we we can create change in every right even in a hospital <laughs> right in all these sorts of situations that every single moment that we have available to us is a, a moment available for transformation yeah and i love that because that also circles back to the beginning of our, of our conversation every moment is an opportunity for transformation and also like you know when we think about there's a story i might have shared it on the podcast once before it's this fun little story of a girl walking down the beach and there's a bunch of starfish that are just on the beach. And there's this old guy who's just sitting in the corner looking at her. And she's picking up the starfish one at a time and throwing them in the water. And eventually he says to her, you know, what are you doing? And she goes, oh, I'm throwing the starfish back in the water. He sees it as there's all these starfish. There's no way you're going to get all of them. So you might as well stop. You're wasting your time. And he says that to her. And she says, well, like, what difference can it make? And she picks up the starfish, looks at it, throws it in the water and says, it made a world of difference for that one. Right. <laughs> and it's coming from the space, not only is every moment an opportunity for transformation, every person that you're with 
start with where start where you are with what you have. And if you've got this person in front of you, that's the opportunity for transformation right there. Yeah, you might want to impact thousands and tens of thousands and millions. But if you can't do it with the person right in front of you, like, why are you trying to run before you can crawl? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's, you know, it's you, you're making me think of um, like I started mentoring other doctors when I was about like two years out in practice. So right before I was teaching in medical schools and all this other stuff, it was just I had so many of my friends, right, that I'd graduated with and things like that, call me up and be like, all right, seriously, Sarah, like, how are you seeing this many people? Like, how are you like, what's going on? Um, how is this working for you? Because I didn't mark, right, you know, marketing required, you know, talking yourself up or, you know, a marketing budget or things like that, <laughs> you know, all kinds of stuff. And, and so starting early on, I found myself with people that I knew, all right, so I knew them well, they were smart, Right. Some of them, I thought they were smarter than me, like genius level, absolutely ridiculously smart. They were talented. Right. They worked incredibly hard in medical school and I knew their hearts. They wanted to help. Right. They lived. Right. They just they wanted to. So they had absolutely everything going for them. They should have been ridiculously busy helping people. Right. And if they weren't. It was always, it was always this, Jamila, it was always this. It was for some reason, their ego was getting in their way and not the way you think, not right. We say ego and we think, oh, well, maybe they were arrogant or they thought, you know, like they were God's gift to uh, medical practice or something or, you know, whatever that is. And it turns out actually, if you're arrogant and you're a doctor that those two things seem to actually go fairly well for, for, do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> even, even if patients don't like their arrogant bastard of a doctor, uh, they'll still believe them and perhaps listen. Do you see what I'm saying? It's just like, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing, but what it, what it always came down to is it was the, the young practitioners that were so desperate to help and so afraid that they wouldn't know enough, be good enough, be smart enough, right? Have the answers, right? And so that they were, they were prevented because they were caught up in the what if I don't know enough place. And what they needed to do was as we talked about earlier, they needed to just show up and be 100% mind, body, spirit, knowledge, whatever it is that they were, they need to show up for that person that they wanted to help and be in complete alignment for the moment, in that moment, and not worry about whether or not they were good enough or they would figure it out or anything else, just show up with all of your mind, all of your being, all of your heart and right, pay complete attention and then know with everything inside of you that you would do everything that you were capable of to help them. Mm -hmm. And that, that alone, and then also in my opinion, not only bring everything that you are to help them, right? Be utterly available to them and then know without a shadow of a doubt 
that all of the universe is going to conspire to help you help them. <laughs> yeah. And some people thought of it in terms of prayer, right? Some people thought of it in terms of meditation. Some people thought of it, right, in terms of all their medical books. Or, you know, I think of it in terms of when I show up to help somebody, I am bringing all of my allies and all of my allies are like all of the universe. Like I am just a representation of the universal forces of healing, mm -hmm. right? I, I exist as the archetype. I exist to be available to the universal forces of healing. And, and I watched, and, and this is the point, the really big point that I wanna make is that I have now had the amazing ability then to watch people transform not just other practitioners, but I've watched family members. I've watched all kinds of human beings transform from people that um, thought it was all about them, even as they're trying to help. And as soon as they have that realization, it's a very personal realization where, you know what? It's all about the person in front of me. And I'm just, I'm going to just do everything that I can to be of assistance to the person in front of me and the entire universe has my back. Mm -hmm. I, and then and then I get the phone call <laughs> like six months later going, work-life balance. Can we talk about that? There's so many people to help. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think, and I don't know who your audience is. I don't know if they're practitioners. I don't know if they're people in need of healing or, or what, what version of audience that is. But but it doesn't it doesn't take a medical degree i think is the point that i want to say like you can show up for yourself or for other people with everything you are knowing that the universe has your back and that can create profound transformation absolutely now, something i tell clients all the time is very often we have to slow down to speed up and when we can slow down and take a look at our life and realize this habit of I'm in a rush, I don't have time, go, 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 I'm distracted. That's the reason why your, let's say, relationship with your spouse isn't as good as it could be. That's the reason why your workouts aren't as good as they could be. That's the reason why your work environment isn't as good as it could be. This, like Dr. Hazel said, this isn't just about, you know, if there are some medical practitioners listen to this as people of all walks of life, but this applies to everybody. Like you said, slow down, bring yourself fully to each and every moment. There's a perspective that I love, Steve Jobs, he said in a commencement speech at Stanford in that video, he says, every day I wake up, I look myself in the mirror and I ask if today was my last day on this earth, would I like to do what I'm, what I'm about to do? Yeah. And if the answer is no, too many days in a row, I know that something needs to change. And then he followed it up with this perspective of if you live every day as if it's your last one day, you will surely be right. And with that in mind. You know, one of uh, I, sh I shared this on the podcast also before. My cousin gave me one of the best, you know, compliments I've ever gotten, and it goes in alignment with what we're talking about. You know, I'm known for my hugs, <laughs> and so I gave my cousin a hug years ago, and she said to me, "I love your hugs. Every time you hug me, I feel like you're never going to see me again." <laughs> and that landed so strongly because that's what I was going for, but I didn't put words to it like that. Right. And the fact that she felt that. That means that's who I was being. And in that same way, 
what, like we talked about earlier, when somebody feels really seen and heard and appreciated and respected by you, just with your presence, who you were being for them, the relationship deepens. The more of you you bring to, to the moment, the more it's like juice you squeeze out of life, you know, the more you're going to get. And so one thing I want to just take a step back in our conversation to give people a context of, I guess, uh, both of our backgrounds, but yours in particular, can you describe for you, what is, you know, naturopathic medicine for somebody who isn't really aware of what it is? Maybe they're aware of what conventional medicine is, and maybe they have no kind of a, you know, model. They have no point of reference here. Well, I mean, for me, I do think that there are a lot of different kinds of naturopaths out there and even different kinds of naturopathic training. I mean, we're uh, we represent the kind of naturopath that had four years of uh, formal, um, you know, naturopathic, scientific, medical training. We had to take boards and pass, you know, uh, national boards and get state licenses and, and go through all the, um, you know, internships uh, and many of us residencies. And I chose this particular path of medicine again, because I also came from a very um, a conventional background. Uh, in fact, my my aunt, I just have to say this real quick and I'll talk about naturopathy, but my aunt actually ran a hospital. She's an administrator. And when she found out that I was uh, going to graduate from with my bachelor of science in biology and go become a naturopathic medical student, she she staged an intervention, right? Like so, she got all of her her medical doctor friends in New York City, right, <laughs> in Manhattan, <laughs> and in a panic, right? Like the the family was panicking, right? Because I came from a you know everybody in my family went to you know Yale, and you know th there's there's family panic basically. Let's just just yeah. sum up family panic. And what was really interesting is that this one old guy, MD, um in the face of my family's panic, uh, calmed everybody down. Uh, and there was a great deal of respect for this particular man and just said, no, just everybody calm down. This is where medicine is going, mm. right? This is not wish doctoring. Everybody was calling it witch doctoring. This is where medicine is going. Let, she's, she's right. She's a vision, like go, let her go. Um, and what he saw, which is, what I was following again, which is what we've been talking about. I believe naturopathic medicine was going to, and I believe it has. And so I'm very grateful for it was going to let me apply the best of modern medical science and diagnostic thinking, right. Then the scientific method and, and keep up with it. Right. I, I didn't have to abandon my love of science, my love of research, my love of testing assumptions, right. What we think we believe, what we think is true. Right. And all the advances of technology, there's just amazing things about modern medicine and I don't want to lose any of them. I want to keep them all. Um, but it also had a lot of blind spots and, and I felt that the blind spots, especially this was like 30 years ago, you got to understand those blind spots, right. You know, antibiotic resistance was only beginning to, uh, you know, we were only really getting our brains around it then. Um, the blind spots were, were blind to medicine at the time, but these old traditional millennials, old traditions of using diet, nutrition, hydrotherapy, exercise, 
the mind-body connection, right? Working with people's beliefs, working with their emotions, uh, working with, with the energies of the body, like the meridians, the acupuncture points, or the herbalism, you know, like all of all of that had, I felt, right, 30 years ago, a uh, tremendous value that that we needed to integrate into our modern medicine and to understand better, right? And so, so naturopathic medicine, to me, why I think naturopathic medicine is a very, very useful paradigm is that it, it is looking for the best of what works from these traditional natural methods, which again, some I think we can put also nature up on a pedestal, just the way we can put modern science and technology up on the pedestal. To me, naturopathic medicine, nobody gets to be on a pedestal, right? What we need as a naturopathic physician is we need what works, <laughs> right? And so whatever works. And that was what the old uh, time European nature care doctors who really began to like, you know, form this paradigm is uh, don't give me the theory, whatever works. So if antibiotics work, great. If this pharmaceutical drug works, great. Uh, but if herbs work, great. If diet works, great, like whatever works. And maybe we need some combination of all of these things that is individualized to the patient. And they were very, very, very much about, and so this tradition, I think, in naturopathic medicine is one of its strengths, which is uh, whatever your medical theory is, it's gotta work for the patient in front of you. Mm -hmm. And I do think that um, where, where all practitioners and all medicine can go sideways is not recognizing when something just isn't actually working. And also not recognizing because just because something might work in the moment, right? The steroid shot might work great to stop the inflammation that's occurring, but it might not solve the problem, the root cause of the disease processes, and you're just going to be retreating it again and again and again. And while you're busy suppressing a symptom, and by the way, sometimes you have to suppress, right? Anaphylactic shock, absolutely suppress like mad, suppress like crazy, suppress now, suppress thoroughly. But, but sometimes um, we can get so good at suppressing symptoms that we forget that we have to be healing the disease processes that are causing those symptoms. We can't just stop at suppression. We've got to actually do the healing work. And so naturopathic medicine for me is where you you use whatever it is you need to do to deal with the symptoms in the moment. Um, and you use science and you use <clears throat> diagnostics and you use lab work and you use the MA, you use the MRI, uh, but you don't forget to actually heal the individual. Mm. I love that. That's, yeah. That's that's my version. <laughs> yeah. And so there's two things there. There's a zoom out and then a zoom in. And so the zoom out, so for, you know, whether, whether it's medicine or just life, notice that there's these old school physicians that Dr. Hazel's talking about who they're like, it's got to work. Does it work? If it does keep doing it, but if it's not, and you're attached to like the vehicle, then it's like, all right, well, the patient's going to die or they're not going to get better in that same way. Like everyone look at your own life. Is there a trap that you're in right now of doing something that's not working over and over and over and over again, expecting that different result? And if you realize, wow, you know, this is the way I'm approaching my diet. This is the way I'm approaching my exercise, my relationships, the way I handle my money, 
where I don't. <laughs> this is the way that my, I keep getting the same kind of results. Is mm -hmm. it working or not? And if it's not, let's change it. And then zooming back in, you know, one of the aspects of naturopathic medicine that drew me in when I, when I heard about it, because I've been studying, you know, health and medicine since I was 14 is when I kind of got my call, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. And it was about this, like, I didn't know the name of it, but it was this nature cure vitalism type of philosophy. And when I did learn about it, that was the class that I took with you at the end of my first year. And I know, you know, there's so much you do, but that's a lot of the foundational thinking, at least of it. Could you share with people in ways that I know you do that empowers them? What is nature cure? What is vitalism? And how can people who don't have that medical knowledge utilize it to improve their life, to improve their health? Uh, you're making me so. Um, so after 25 years of practice, I had never uh, run a weight loss program until very recently, right? Because not that I haven't dealt with, you know, weight, right? One of the most common things that people are looking for help with is to lose weight. Uh, and um, and one of the more ch most challenged populations to lose weight are, you know, women that are over 40, right? That the hormones have begun to change, you know, things like that. Uh, and it's, it can be really, really, they got a lot of things arrayed against them. Right. And especially in the American culture, right. For so many different things, there's so many challenges for people uh, to lose weight. And we know that the American population is mostly overweight, right. That's just as a collective, that's, that's yeah. our, that's our identity, right. That's what, that's what we do here, <laughs> that's what we do. Um, you know, and uh, and so obviously it had been part of my practice for you know two, 25 years. Mm. Uh, and what what I would say may, what I decided to do was take a very different approach with this program. And I would say it's a vitalistic approach. And you don't usually think of vitalism, right? Uh, treating excess fat. <laughs> And, and, and the even reason why I did it is I had one of my patients was also a doctor. Um, and she pointed out that I was fundamentally taking this vitalistic approach to weight loss. And it was, it was, I have to be thankful for her because, you know, she was just like, well, why don't you just create a vitalism weight loss program? Like, what would that look like? I'm like, that's fascinating. And, and I'm using it as an example because what we do in the program is we start with what vitality is, right? So if we talk about vitalism and vitalistic medicine, right? We start in the program, we take this thing that like almost everybody wants to lose at least five pounds, if not 10 pounds, right? Now, now some people need to gain weight, don't get me wrong. And I use the same sort of thinking for the gaining of the weight. <laughs> but, but this idea of vitalism is that inherent inside of us as human beings, as biological organisms, we have the power to heal. We have the power to achieve. We have the power to transform. That we are built as transformative machines. We are built as adaptation transformative machines and inherent in our coding is the ability to remodel ourselves in all kinds of ways. 
Now, we usually think of that is that, right, if you start an exercise program that, to lift weights, your muscles remodel themselves to be stronger, to be bigger, right? If we start a stretching program, our ligaments, our fascia, our joints remodel themselves to be more flexible, right? We are remodeling ourselves all the time. And vitalism is basically calling out the fact that we are inherently programmed and capable of remodeling ourselves. That includes healing, right? That includes healing of even dramatic. I mean, I've had the joy and the be, be able to witness miraculous healings that were essentially coming from within people's own capacity, right? They were not an outside force of healing, which is still fabulous, by the way. Love my best friends that are surgeons and all kinds of other things. There are lots of, you're right. There are lots of, <laughs> some of my best friends are surgeons. So I celebrate the fact that we can have outside in, right? Outside forces of healing, right? But also vitalism is inside out healing. And so to use that, uh, you know, just for weight loss, because for me, even it's still kind of like to just use vitalism as a weight loss tool is still for me, just like, I'm just having such a kick with it right now. Uh, and so many of the people in my program are actually doctors, right? So <laughs> that's part of it. And it's just, it's reframing everything that we do, but definitely healing that includes weight loss because what is weight loss? We're just remodeling. We're remodeling our bodies because we have the inherent capacity to remodel. And vitalism starts with whatever else we do as outside in approaches, whatever else, why not enliven, strengthen, increase, and maximize, optimize the person's inherent ability to transform because if we can make them this powerful transformational machine biological biofield quantum machine then whatever it is their goal is maybe it's increase energy maybe it is to lose fat maybe it is to gain muscle Maybe it is to have better joints. Maybe maybe it's to heal from asthma. Maybe it's to heal from an autoimmune disease, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Like vitalism is simply saying the more we can empower you to self-heal, the less we have to work at trying to do outside healing efforts. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that outside healing efforts aren't hugely impactful and needed at sometimes, right? Like take me to some of my friend's surgeons if my leg gets broke or my son just had his finger cut off and a fabulous surgeon here in Flagstaff reattached the finger, Yeah. right? Like, thank God there are outside in approaches. Mm -hmm. And his finger is amazing, by the way, because of vitalism. But... <laughs> Because even the surgeon, the surgeon's just like, the surgeon was like, I don't even know why I did this. Like, this was probably a bad idea. We're probably going to lose the finger anyway, because it was mangled. It wasn't just like severed, it was mangled. But, and even if it doesn't, even if we don't have to go back in and take the finger off, um, the amount of use he's likely to have of this finger, one, it's going to take years of rehab. Uh, it's never going to be 100%, right? Within, for, in our world with vitalism, 
it took, you know, a handful of months to get like about 85%. And now he's like at 95%. Um, you see what I'm saying? Because that's, but that's, that's the point. It's vitalism, the inherent body to heal combined with any outside forces. And so these two things coming together, at least that's, again, that's my idea of naturopathic medicine is that we are using, you know, herbs or a supplement or massage or a technique or, or a medicine, a medication. Um, and it's sounding to me like when you talk uh, to your people that you are, you're calling forth this aspect of just hold the phone, stop the presses, take a moment, slow down and realize what you are capable of. And that's a nature cure to me too, because the other, the other piece of that is that we have this incredible power to transform ourselves starting right here in the now inside of ourselves, in our brains, in our hearts, like no matter where you are, what you're doing, you have it right there. It's, it's yours. Nobody can take it away. It's inside of you. You carry it with you everywhere, but also there's so many natural forces that are cheap, <laughs> that are available, <laughs> that are free, right? <laughs> Which is why, I mean, you know me, like I've always been like a crazy, like hot and cold uh, water uh, freak when it comes to medicine, because, you know, people can often not always get access to things like hot water, to cold water, to sunlight. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. and then we're Again, that's the we're enlivening someone's vital force, their inherent capacity to heal, and we're using natural forces that are free and readily available. Yeah. So, yeah, one of the things I find so hopeful that I want to share with everyone who's listening, but I hope you find it as hopeful as I do, regardless of what's going on in your world, regardless of how long it's been going on for. You know, the old research used to be that the body is turning over every 10 years or so, you've got this brand new body. And then it got a little bit closer, like seven years. And then it went to three years. And now there's people saying every year, you have a brand new skeleton, you have a brand new body. And so from that perspective, well, what's the body being, what's the new stuff being made out of? <laughs> it's like, well, what are you putting in and what are you exposing it to? And what are the thoughts and what are all these things? And you can rebuild it. And just because this is the situation right now, regardless of what you know, the pain level, the flexibility, the strength, the whatever, it can improve. And if you've got that commitment and you keep showing up and you just start doing the best that you can and you continue to educate yourself and learn more and there's that expression, you know, when we know better, we do better. There's things that I used to think were a really good idea that now I go, I would never do that. <laughs> like, why would I do that? But we, we learn better, we know better, we learn better, we do better. There we go. <laughs> But there's so much hope that the body is always turning over. Our minds are always learning new things. And like you said, we can take back that kind of locus of control. It's like, this is my life. This is who I am. This is how I'm choosing to show up. And if I don't like the, this is the aspect of being a creator, being an owner of our own life. If I don't like the way my life is right now, I'm going to take responsibility, which is you break it up, the ability to respond. I don't like my life the way it is right now. I'm going to do something about it. And it might take me days, weeks, months, years, decades, but it's not going to stay the way it is right now. And so much magic happens. And so with that in mind, could you share with us in your experience, what are some of the maybe primary obstacles that people run into on their health journey that you've seen discourages them or slows them down? And maybe some ways that you've 
help them through that. So maybe anyone who's listening right now who's in that fit, that space of discouragement, mm-hmm. get that hope back. I mean, you know, there's a, a lot of ways of approaching this, but one of the one of the things that that I recognized uh, over the course of <laughs> decades, I guess, is that a tremendous amount of people don't value themselves enough. And what I mean by that is that they really don't understand how profoundly valuable and powerful that they are. And so one of the things that if they're going to make change, so this is the other thing, like change, right? Which is most, most people are coming to doctors to change something, right? Occasionally you get somebody who's like, I'm fabulous. Just do some screening tests and like, keep me optimized. You know, that happens rarely, but it does. Um, I wish it happened all the time. Most people are coming uh, to physicians like me to, to get fixed. Uh, They have a problem. They would like a solution. (laughs) And the, when we start figuring out what the problem is exactly and what the possible solutions are in that uh, if it's not just here's the pill right for you to take take this pill everything will be fixed i get that everybody wants to take a pill and everything will be fixed if however their particular problem cannot be solved with a take a pill everything is fixed approach then and some people can't even take pills okay fair enough but then you run into um They've got to change. So what you're really having to confront with, how do I help somebody change? So the obstacles are, first, they've got to believe that change is possible. So you have to help them believe that change is possible. Then from there, they got to believe that they can change. Because even if they think the change is possible, they don't necessarily think they can do it. And if they don't think they can do it, then you got to figure out why, why can't they do it? And then we got to figure out why they don't think they can do it. And maybe because they think their outside circumstances are too intense or hard. Maybe it's because they think they're not smart enough. They don't have enough endurance. They don't have enough skill set. They don't, you know, whatever it is, we got to figure out, we got to identify it. One, they have to believe change is possible. They got to believe change is necessary. Yeah. Then they got to believe change is possible then they got to believe it's possible for them because once you get to the point where they realize it's possible for them, your work almost disappears Mm -hmm. because now you're just their coach. You're their support team. You're their mentor. If they run into a snag or a roadblock, you help them figure it out. But once they believe that they can change Again, it's back to like all sorts of things are unleashed. They know they can change. They know they can figure it out. And, and then everything, everything happens. So it's a lot about how to help them change. So from that point of view, like with the weight loss thing, uh, like this, uh, you know, just the people that I'm talking to this week about it, they are, it's so funny to see their shock and their amazement that finally, after sometimes years and years and years, they are changing. Because the fundamental problem was they didn't really believe that they could, Mm -hmm. or they didn't believe that they were worth it. 
everything else was more important than taking the time to caretake themselves enough, to prioritize themselves enough, right? Work is more important. The kids are more important. Their parents are more important. Their boss is more important. Their spouse is more important. Whatever the thing is, everything else is more important than them collecting themselves for themselves and choosing to change their diet, to change their lifestyle, to change something, even smallest change. So how do we do it? How, you know, how do we make it happen? I like to try to give people like early quick wins. So we figure out in this whole host of things that they could change, <laughs> what would be game changing? What would, what would start change? What, what's something that they really can do that they can commit to? Uh, I can't tell you how often hot and cold showers like is the tipping point. So if I can get somebody to commit to alternating hot and cold showers, making sure they're doing it the right way, not too hot so that they're scalding themselves, right? Not too, too cold that they're like screaming, right? Just right. There's And there's an art to that, like just the right amount. And they've done like all sorts of studies about this, alternating hot and cold showers uh, to tolerance and they get better and better at it. And so they get bigger, bigger temperature changes. This ha- creates tremendous physiological changes that can help them heal in all kinds of ways. It also creates mental changes. People can go into theta states in the shower. It's one of the easiest ways to get people to go into theta states and reprogram their thinking and their minds and their emotions, right? That that almost dream state where they get to reprogram their subconscious, hot and cold showers. Yeah. So uh, that is essentially one of the ways I do it, but I do it with lots of other ways too. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's so much of that. I've experienced that in my work with people. And I had a client earlier today, just two hours before our call. And we talked about towards the end, this idea of accountability. And on the one hand, accountability can be really useful and it can do a lot of good. And on the other hand, I'm going to give a different perspective that aligns with what you're talking about. So here's this person, let's say in your example, who maybe they don't believe it's possible or they don't believe it's possible for them, things of that nature. So now somebody says, you know, I want to go for a walk every day. Can you text me every morning to remind me, be my accountability partner? And the thing is that for me, accountability, the need for accountability is an expression of you not actually wanting it. And when we come from the space of realizing I want everyone to think about something that you really love to do, something that maybe you love a certain food, your favorite food, or it's an activity, it's a hobby, it's your favorite thing to do. You do it as often as you can, whenever you have free time. You need accountability for that. And it goes, no, because that's where I feel most alive. That's where I just show up. And so one way to not need accountability is you raise the motivation. And the way you raise motivation is you raise desire. And the way you raise desire is you can say, okay, if I were to do this, what would happen in my life? What would change? What would be the positive results that I would achieve? But then go a step further. How about other people maybe that I really care about? If I have a spouse, if I have kids, parents, whoever it is, people that I really care about, how would their life improve if I did this? And when you can really just stack the scale on the side of taking action, you don't need that accountability anymore because you've got a vision, a dream, a goal, whatever it is that's so inspiring and aligned with you that you're just excited to do it. It's You're getting pulled toward it. You don't, you don't need to be pushed. And it's a whole different way of being. And so just 
my two cents to add into what Dr. Hazel said, not only first you believe it's possible and then you believe it's possible for you, but then you connect, why do you wanna even make this change and what would that do for your life and how amazing could it be? And are you willing to pay that price? And if they're like, absolutely, my kids would benefit this way, I'd benefit that way. There was a guy I worked with years ago and I was really fortunate to be, I just met him at a party and we had this conversation for two hours and he tells me, I wanna quit smoking. And I say, okay, how long have you wanted that? I've wanted it for 10 years. Tell me about that. And he'll say, I, oh, we just lost, we just lost Dr. Hazel. Give us one second. All right, we're back. We had a technical glitch, but all, all perfect. And so all I was sharing, so there's this guy who wants to quit smoking for 10 years. And he tells me, you know, I've tried all these things and I've maybe quit for a week, two weeks. I've never been able to stop. And ultimately, using the kind of framework we just came up with, it was, well, why do you really want to quit? And what is so important to you that would be worth it for you to you know, go through whatever the challenge would be that you would experience in this process? And he tells me, you know, I'd love to have a child in the future. And he's like, I'm imagining it as a daughter. And he says, I want to walk her down the aisle. And that would be, you know, maybe 20, 30 years from now, whatever that would be. And so I took him through this whole visualization process of kind of two lives, like a kind of a fork in the road. One of them is this is the life where he lived. He gave up the smoking. He was healthy. He was vibrant. He lived to be an old man. He did all this stuff with his family, impact in the world. And he was tears in his eyes. And then the other fork was a lot more grim. And that's the one where, you know, smoking took him out early and somebody else is walking his daughter down the aisle and took him through this visual as, as if his spirit was walking through the future house and he's not in any of the photos. And that got him crying too. And then we finished that conversation and I leave. And we talked every now and then, but he never brought it back up. Two years go by and he tells me, by the way, I wanted to say thank you. And I was like, for what? And he goes, uh, today's my two year anniversary since that conversation we had. I haven't smoked since like that conversation. And years after that, he continued not smoking because he had a strong enough why. You know, there's that Nietzsche quote, when you know the why for living, you can endure almost anyhow. And when we come from that space, not just, yes, it's possible. Yes, I can do it. But why is it worth it for you to do it? And then stack the deck in that favor so much that you can't even imagine not doing it. And then you start celebrating it. Hey, you know, I went for a walk three days in a row. Hey, you know, I haven't smoked in four days. Or hey, I started whatever the change is. And you celebrate the small wins because the small wins become the big wins. <laughs> and it cheers you on. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, that that story makes me think of similar stories. I mean, I've definitely had uh, men and women both who have sat in my office. We've had a talk very similar for in various different versions of that. You know, do you have a why that's strong enough to inspire you to make these changes, you know? And some people's why were they didn't want to die of cancer. Some people's why were they wanted to see their daughter get married, you know? And there was all kinds of whys, right? Lots and lots of whys. And if the why was strong enough, that could change everything in that moment. Yeah. And and I I I saw that early on in my practice and then I also saw that an awful lot of people felt like they had good whys and still couldn't make the changes. 
And then I had to go, okay, you think you got a good why. You feel like you're motivated. How come you keep on failing to change? What, what, what's, what's going on? And that's where, that's where it's worthwhile spending the time with people who have had a pattern of identity Mm -hmm. and a pattern of belief that is keeping them from going after their goals. Right. Because again, and that's back to like, so there's like, why are you doing what you're doing? There's the how of how you're going to be doing what you're doing. Right. And we can, we can help people with the whys, but they got to choose their own whys. We can definitely help people with hows. You know, we can do that very well. We've got a skill set for that. But what if their brains, right, subconscious programming, since they were little, little kids, they have been programmed, because that's the thing, only 5% or something of our conscious existence, we're aware of, we're tracking that 5% of our conscious knowing, and 95% of us is subconscious, automatic pilot, just running the show running how we react to things, running how we believe about things, running how we think and feel about things, right? It's not just helping us drive the car when we're actually on the phone or we're watching podcasts or things that we probably should be doing, like, right? We, we, we are programmed beings. And so much of our programming is subconscious. And so much of that subconscious happened in childhood. But also on top of that, a lot of people have all kinds of trauma, right? People have micro traumas. People have major traumas. There's not just the PTSD. There's uh, there's abuse histories. There's neglect histories. There's just having learned through various kinds of sometimes offhanded comments that they're not uh, they're not smart enough. They're not valuable enough. They're not lovable enough. Um, or they learn that they have to be a certain way to be successful or to be right. They, they learn the shape of their reality of their identity when we're so young sometimes. And so even when their conscious minds might be sitting there in the office with you going, yes, I want this. I want to be this. I want to make this change. I want to have this goal. I want to heal this thing. I want to become this other, this other person. I want to, you know, whatever it is, then they run into the stumbling blocks yeah. of what's actually running the show especially in moments of stress they're doing the walking they're doing the exercise they're taking the the supplement they're whatever whatever the thing is that they've crafted as their strategy to meet their goals and then something goes wrong Hmm. uh they have a horrible blowout with their colleagues at work um, something really awful happens at home or, you know what I'm saying? Like trauma, stress, um, or they're just exhausted, right? They've been great all week. They've been doing all the things and following all the strategies, doing everything right and going to the, whatever it is, the thing that they're doing. And then they just get to the end of their Friday night and they're exhausted. And their buddy says, for real, this has been an awful week. Let's go out and have pizza and beer. And spend all night like we'll we'll do it like a double header movie watching thing. Or you see what I'm saying? <laughs> and they were supposed to have this other healthy meal, healthy. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and so what 
I've been looking for, right? There's meditation techniques, there's yoga techniques, there's there's all sorts of strategies to help recreate. There's hypnosis, right? There's all sorts of strategies to help repattern. And the thing that we have to realize is that whatever our patterns are, our subconscious patterns, they're encoded in our neurons now. We are wired to have certain thoughts. We are wired to have certain beliefs and feelings. We are wired to respond to certain triggers in a certain way. And it is actually the rare individual that can just decide to repattern themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and when people hit those stumbling blocks of this is so hard and I'm meeting so much resistance, right? And if their why doesn't feel powerful enough as they hit those resistances, those habits of patterns in body and mind, that's where we, we lose people. And so that's why I like that theater chamber where I'm going to Washington and why I've been like studying, you know, different technologies that different people are using all over the planet now. Like, how do we help people get into this, the brain states, right? Hypnosis is is a classic one, but how do we, what are the different ways with sound, with light, with motion, with frequency, right? Sensory deprivation chambers were one version, you know, right back in the seventies, I think it got big or something. But basically, there's lots of technology that now science is trying to say, how do we get people into that state where they can more easily reprogram their brain and do it enough that they can create new pathways so that they are shifting their beliefs, shifting their reactions, right? And it doesn't become a fight to go to the gym anymore. They just, they, of course, they go to the gym because they're the kind of, healthy person with an athletic streak that goes to the gym, right? It's not an effort anymore because now it's an identity. It's it's who they are. They're not battling to create this, this change. Um, And that's, that's what I think. I'm really excited Mm -hmm. that science is now showing us that we can choose our brain states and fair enough. So also science says, uh, people, it takes like a couple months <laughs> to fully repattern certain kinds of, you know, patterning in our brains. Um, some patterns we can we can change very quickly in a matter of days or weeks. But if we have entrenched ways of believing and entrenched ways of responding, it might actually to recreate, right, to rewire how our neurons are firing, it might take us a few months. <laughs> <laughs> but but why not use all the natural techniques, the lineage techniques, but also science to help us make that change so much faster? Like why like, like how can we make this easier for people? And that's where I'm really excited right now. Like how can we make it easier? Yeah. Yeah, I I love the way this conversation just occurred because we've got, you know, what is it you want to do? And then we've got, well, why do you want to do it? And how are you going to do it? And then the identity piece is who are you going to be being? And it's like from that space of identity, you mentioned, you know, hypnosis and mental and emotional release work are aspects of the work I do. And it sounds that the fact that you can have a strong why that is working for a period of time and then doesn't anymore, but you still consciously say, but this is so important. 
that to me is like, it becomes diagnostic. It's like, okay, there's something deeper. <laughs> you've got the thought, you've got the belief, you've got the identification that doesn't serve you. And, you know, some people have that. We all have some variation of it, but some people are able to, like you said, have the strong enough why where they don't necessarily need to do that release work right now because it's not stopping them or slowing them down. But very often it does. And so just knowing that it changes everything. And you, you brought up the theta chamber. Could you speak to that a little bit more about kind of what is it? And uh, you kind of were just, well, I, but if you wanted to add anything. Yeah, the theta chamber is just like one of many technologies. And one of the reasons why I'm going to uh, Seattle actually uh, in a day or two uh, to work with that group is because I think there's a lot of research being done about how we can use what we're learning from science to do things that we've always done. Well, those of us in naturopathic medicine, like detox, right? Or, you know, uh, like how to use a hyperbaric chamber in a way that really will help uh, speed the oxygenation of your body if you're giving them the right nutrients, right? And you put it under pressure and now you can, the tissues can release better, right? Like how do you saw it better um, in order to enhance various kinds of body changes? And, and so there's been a movement in sauna therapy, in, uh, you know, oxygen therapy, in, in you know, detoxification mechanisms, using niacin, things like that for environmental medicine. There's been lots of movement with nutrition and with traditional therapies, with hot and cold and with hermetic stresses, right? You know, people are doing cold plunges, right? And cold baths, right? All of us nature cure style naturopaths have been doing all this for ages, but no, there's a whole movement of biohacking, right? Of mm -hmm. biohacking and new science that's now figuring out what a heat shot protein is and why it matters and why it can be transformative and a cold shot protein and why it's transformative. Um, and there's that, but the theta chamber and some of these other uh, technologies are saying, if mindset, as we've been talking about, can be huge, right? If you're going to make changes in your life, change requires, change of action requires a change of mindset. And the problem with changing the mindset is what if the mind is being stubborn and is really right? Addiction, addiction behaviors. And we, we often think of addictions in terms of addiction to alcohol or to smoking, as we talked about, or, you know, a whole host of other things, but people are addicted to sugar, right? For good reason, right? That whole, the, the dopamine response, the serotonin response, we have industries. So just for everybody out there, know that you are up against the science of food industries, figuring out how to make the food on the grocery shelves more addictive right? Like you are up against profound amount of money being poured, billions of dollars being poured into the science of making you crave and want through marketing and through the actual ingredients and the taste to crave things that are in fact not good for you. And, and so the theta chamber essentially is an, just to use it as an example, is trying to bring your brain into a state where it's easier to reprogram yourself, basically, because we have to recognize that we have been programmed from our childhood, but also from the media, from our society, from our habits, 
right? We have programmed ourselves and we have been programmed to crave all kinds of things that are not good for us, <laughs> to believe all kinds of things that are not particularly helpful for us. Like we're also, right? The reason what you, you're not good enough. You're not thin enough. You're not smart enough. You're not successful enough. Uh, you are not beautiful enough. And the solution to that is go shopping. The solution to to that is work yourself into the ground making money. The solution to that is right, change your appearance cosmetically. The solution to that is right, is all of that not working for you? You still feel like crap. All right, how about at least eat a pizza, have a brownie, eat a cupcake, and for at least a few minutes, these scientifically crafted food industry foods are going to make you feel better. Put some caffeine and some sugar in high concentrations, you will temporarily feel better about it all. Right. But as we, if we have succumbed, sometimes through no fault of our own, maybe through traumas, if we've succumbed to certain patterns, uh, we have to repattern, reprogram our brains. And there are certain states where it's easier to develop new neural pathways. So if we can help the brain through something like a theta chamber where they're using frequencies, they're using sound, they're using motion, they're kind of like rocking you into this sort of the, this theta meditative, deep meditative state where so much of that programming is done, right? That's, that's the state that you were in when you were a little person yeah. and you were just being programmed by your life about what, who you are, what you are, what reality is. If we can get you back into the state where you have increased neuroplasticity, and if we can have you focus and concentrate through sound and imaging on what you want to repattern and who you are now, right? And what the truth is for you now, right? What, what you're becoming, what you actually are, and that that allows that that place of neuroplasticity is going to speed and ease your ability. And so that's what you know when I was in uh, in Utah uh, training with some of the medical directors there, and I met like the the people dealing with all kinds of mental issues, PTSD, um, you know, from things like anxiety to real traumatic past, and they were using these technologies uh, again with diet and nutrition and counseling you want to be clear right there was a whole a whole lot of support happening but they were using these techniques of neuroplasticity to increase the speed of transformation mm. to make it in a sense easy it was still hard work right they still had to take action they still had to make changes but the idea was using technology to make it easier for their brains to change yeah. And it was just really fascinating to see how much that helped. So yeah. that's what that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's wonderful. And it's really exciting to see, you know, as the technology continues to increase and more people have, because, you know, my understanding, you know, from a deep meditative place, like you alluded to, we can reach those theta level states through hypnosis. We can do it. There's different ways of doing it, but, you know, more ways, the better. <laughs> and so that's fantastic. And so as we begin to wrap up, you know, the purpose of this podcast, purpose of my work is to help people create an extraordinary life without regret. If people were asking you, how you how do you do that from your perspective? What would you share with them? This is going to sound so old fashioned. 
<laughs> right. I was just, and I got to tell you like the, some of the things that I'm working with now, like they look so Star Trek. Like I feel like I'm on like the Star Trek enterprise and the sick bay with the, some of the stuff that, you know, with the lights and the sounds and the frequencies and the, this kind of stuff. But, but for me, <laughs> I have found that journaling is the way that that check-in that I do usually like at, Oh God, early in the morning before dawn. Cause that's, a, that's, that's just my space. And that's where I and myself, right. It's just between me, myself and God, I get to assess, am I, is this the life I should be leading? Will I get to the end of my life with no regrets? When death comes for me, Will I greet him as an old friend? And and I do have a bit of a warrior spirit. So to me, like every day in my journaling is like, is this a good day to die? Is and which is more of a kind of a Native American uh, take on it. Like, am I going into each day with the warrior spirit, which is, you know, will I go into each day, no matter what happens, even if I die today? Will this day be worthy? Will this be a day to die? Am I, have, am I clean? Am I without regret? Have I made amends if I've made mistakes? Because we all make mistakes. If I failed, if I, if, have I identified why I failed and recommitted myself to, you know, trying again, you know, like, and really like almost every day I journal and I take that moment in the morning. And I think we can all do that. And some people need to do it in the evening, right? Whatever works for you, but just, you know, what you said, Steve jobs, was it that like looks in the mirror? Yeah. Like journaling is my mirror, but then I get to see, I like the journaling because to then I move to like data analysis, like, all right, what are all my metrics? How am I doing? Right? <laughs> <laughs> am I achieving my goals? Have I set, you know, how am I doing internally, externally? Like, you know, I, I do an eval, like what's the data? What do the facts say? Um, I say that I want, or I believe these things. Are my actions consistent with my words? Are my actions consistent with my belief? Am I manifesting the truth and my highest truth? And so that's what journaling is for, for me. And yes. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And like a second part of this question is, if our conversation today was your last opportunity to share your message with the world, what would you want to make sure you left people with? You are more powerful than you know, and the universe is arrayed to have your back. Know your power and know that there is so much available all around you to help you. Never feel alone, even in your power or in your darkest hour, there is so much help. Received, I landed. <laughs> Uh, and so what are you excited about now that you're working on? Uh, I, I think I'm actually enjoying, which really shocks me. And so I'm just going to say that it really shocks me that I am enjoying as much as I am doing these virtual programs through all the Zoom meetings, right? And the consultations, like my, again, my vitalism weight loss program is virtual, right? It's not because I'm such a hands-on person. I always have been. Uh, and I've been just, I've been loving and really enjoying talking to people like across all these time zones, which are maddening, 
but it's been so much fun to feel that like I am mentoring and supporting people across time zones. That feels really impactful to me. And especially because again, you, you transform, you help somebody transform and then they're going to run off and transform, you know, dozens, hundreds, thousands of other people. And so to me, that's really exciting. Uh, the other thing is this exploration where I'm really focused in right now, which is how do we use modern technologies uh, in frequency and science in um, waveforms and field forms, you know, brain plasticity science. That's so exciting to me to bring together traditional uh, natural medicine with these sort of cutting edge ways of figuring out how to help the body, the cells, the minds transform. That's, that's really exciting. I love that. And so how can our listeners learn more about you and connect with you? Well, it's probably the easiest is drsarahazel.com. <laughs> so D-R-S-A-R-A-H-A-Z-E-L.com and drsarahazel at Gmail. If you want to email me directly or go to my website, I'm, I'm not super present on my website just so everybody knows, but it is a way to reach me. And I try to post what I'm doing on my website. If I'm having a seminar, sometimes I do free classes, things like that. So uh, it's a it's a pretty good way to track me down. Wonderful. And I'll have all the links, Dr. Hazel's contact, yeah. social media, everything in the show notes. There's a, yeah. there's a quote here from your website that I found that I really loved. And I thought it was a great way to kind of take us home. And so the quote is, my mission is to have each one of us actualize the power and potential we were born with. If we can unlock that power, we will benefit more than just ourselves. We can become a force of balance, change, and grace on the planet. Healthy, radiant bodies, clear, radiant minds, compassionate, radiant lives. And so I just really, really love that. And for everyone listening, if this conversation really resonated with you, please leave a review, whether it's on almost Amazon, whether it's on Spotify, whether it's on uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this, and it is actually on Amazon Podcasts or you know YouTube, wherever it is, it really goes a long way. And share this, share it with anyone that you believe it would benefit. Thank you for your time, your attention, your energy. I believe it's the greatest resources you have. And I don't take it lightly that you took time to be with us today. Dr. Hazel, anything you'd like to say before we close? No, it was great. Perfect. Thank you so much again for being here. Really, really appreciate it. And like I mentioned in the, in, in the beginning and toward the end, you know, my life's work is to help people create an extraordinary life without regret, to help you experience the happiness, the fulfillment, the peace that you're looking for. It is a challenge that you're going through right now around your business, your mindset, your relationships, but it's also the happiness, the health, the spirituality. It's the full spectrum of the human experience. I'd love to have a conversation with you and let's see if we can create some magic for your life. You can find me at jamilsayage.com and on social media, there's about 800-ish pieces of content, videos, quotes, blogs, all that stuff for free that so many people have been really fortunate to have been told it has helped them. You can find it on Instagram at my uh, Dr. Jamil Sayage, DR, and then my name. Facebook and LinkedIn is just Jamil Sayage. I'll have that in the show notes as well. Every, most people's favorite day to change their life is tomorrow. I have found that's why they stay stuck. But you can be different. You can decide that today is the day. I call this pod podcast Transformation Starts Today because today's your only time to transform your life. Right now is your only time to transform your life. Dr. Hazel shared so much wisdom in this podcast. Go back, listen to it again. Find the actionable nuggets and apply. Your life will change before your very eyes. Sending you all so much love. Wishing you the best. Take care. Thank you for being with us today. If this conversation served you, it would mean a lot if you left a review 
and shared this with anyone who may benefit. An extraordinary life without regret is available to you now. Choose it. It's your time.